Open your books of your Bible to Romans 8. Romans 8, if you need a Bible, uh, I'm praying that somebody will bring it to you. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Bob will bring it to you. Romans 8. We're going to start with the 18th verse and go through the 25th verse. I've been talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about how he's revealed to us in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter, one of the greatest focals, uh, focal point of, of Paul's teaching on the Spirit. And uh, I, uh, I think that this probably is as important as any. Uh, the phrase that came to my mind as I studied this and, uh, you know, how do you study and present something that is much greater than you? He is worthy. I come only under his worthiness, not my own. And uh, but the phrase that came to my mind is, this is where the rubber meets the road. The rubber that meets the road in life. Um, and so let's hear it. Are you with me? Yeah. Jay, you, uh, you love the, the Spirit, don't you? And you let the Spirit of God lead you, don't you? Why don't we stand in His presence as we hear His reading? Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation... For the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Amen? Amen. Amen. In a hopeless world, where do we get hope? In a world that is Falling to pieces, literally. Where do we get hope from? Some people try to grab a hold of hope by getting more of what this world offers. Thank you, Lord, for a time where things are taken away. So we can't grab a hold of what this world has to offer. Some of us who are aging realizes that we can't grab like we used to grab because 
this physical body is wasting away. So what do you do in the midst of that? What do you do in the midst of of those times? This week, I listened to Ted Cruz, who is a senator of Texas, and he was talking about the border crisis. And he says, he said, when I went down there, I talked to farmers who on a regular basis are finding bodies of illegal immigrants strewn over top of their fields. Because of the border crisis, people are being humanly trafficked across the border. Drugs are pouring into America, and the drug cartel and the traffickers are leaving the the weak and the sick. I guess that means wick. The weak and the sick are being left for dead. Rape, murder, and chaos. All this happening in a generation that's supposed to be civilized. I'm sure that Kyle could tell us stories of things that are groaning downtown as people are living lives and, and uh, in, in, um, um, uh, mental illness seems to be growing among our generation. There's a lot of groaning going on. Well, I see verse 18 and verse 24 through 25 as being kind of like two bookends about what the Spirit wants to witness to us today. The first bookend is, is, is verse 18. It really is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith, of belief, of what, um, uh, of what, we, uh, what we hold on to. And that is that I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us. Why I say that's a statement of faith is because I don't know about you, but I have noticed over time and it growing, increasing, that life experiences are, be, are more important to people than experiences of the dwelling of the Spirit of God within a heart. And that life experiences are leading people's lives. They're being led into dramatic things because this is what I've experienced through these eyes through what I see in this world, and that dictates the truth in my life, and so that's what's moving my life. That's the decisions I'm making. That's the direction that I'm going in life. It could be anything from the fact that I was brought up in an abusive home, and because of that, my life is being moved forward into living out in action of that abuse. It could be that the fact that I have been uh, homeless, and my life, I live out the experience of that homelessness. Um, it could be the fact that, um, um, well, like I heard this weekend, I was at an, an amazing funeral this weekend. And amazing, I learned something from a funeral that I've never learned before. It was at Bob Hamlet's funeral, Kyle's dad's. And what I learned there, what the theme of that funeral was, you got to love people. Because Bob loved people. He had, he had a horrific experience with the church. Horrific. That wasn't even mentioned there, but I know a little bit of the backstory. But through it all, he loved people. And at that funeral, that love came so through his music that he wrote, the things that were said. It was amazing. Through his son, Kyle, who stood up and amazingly gave an, a, a, an amazing speech. 
And I, all of us dear people thought, oh, dude, he knows how it falls apart in front of church sometimes. He was so strong. It was amazing. Why? Because of the love of his Father in heaven and the love of his Father on earth. If you do anything in this place, love people. Sue and I have been learning something that's this. We're called to love. It's the Spirit's call to convict. And it's the Father's call to judge. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And so, how does a person get that kind of statement of faith? Well, it comes from hope. It comes from hope. That's the last two verses. And it's, right? Somebody tell me the definition of faith from Hebrews 11. Can anybody say that to me? What about it? Okay. Being sure of what we hope for and, and certain of the things we cannot see. Amen. And, 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 and so verse 24 and verse 25 is a summary of that. Because if you put your hope in the things you can see, how many believe that's, they're going to let you down? Across the board. Yes. And if you let that become the life experience that leads your life, you're going to live a letdown life all the time. But if you put your hope in that which you cannot see and your confidence in, faith being the fact that even though you never see God, never see God, you believe he exists, you believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and you believe that his spirit dwells within you, then as you learn to love people and live your life in love with others, that, um, that becomes the reality that God lives in here. You're living out your faith. That's what Bob taught me. No matter what happens no matter what falls to part, no matter what you experience in life, you can believe that the present sufferings aren't worth the glory that will be revealed when Jesus Christ returns and his children are made, are, 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 are made evident in the world. When does that happen? Well, I think the first time it happens is when you receive Jesus Christ and you begin to turn and walk a whole new way. I don't know. I, I told the Lord that if He didn't want me to go by my notes, it's okay. So I consider our present suffering not worth the glory that would be revealed in us. If you'd be honest with me, are you being more moved by your personal life experiences than you are by the Spirit of God? Be honest with me. What seems to move your thinking? What seems to move your mind? What seems to move your life? I think it's a great question. Answer it in your heart. I don't want you to answer it out loud. But answer it in your heart because the Spirit is calling you to be moved more by Him than by anything else you experience in your life. Now, this is the cool thing about this passage is the fact that God is not denying the difficulty that you've gone through. God is not saying to you, oh, just pull up your bootstraps because, because 
what you've gone through is, 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 is nothing. You shouldn't be hurting as much as you are. I don't, I don't hear that. Not in this passage. Not in this passage because as you move on in this passage, in these bookends about sharing in the suffering, um, he says this, right? He says, I, I consider that our present sufferings, right? Consider means to reach a settled conclusion by careful study and reasoning. It's not without thinking. It's not you set your mind to the side and don't. It's that, you know what? I see, my, I see what's going on in my life, and I see Jesus Christ. And in careful thought, in, 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 in gut-wrenching times, on my knees, I choose to stand on what's coming through Jesus Christ more than what I'm experiencing in my life, and I'm going to let that lead my life more than anything else. And so... Um, So what part does the Spirit play in this process? From bringing us, from seeing honestly in what's going on in the world and in our lives around us, to bringing us hope to the point of saying, you know what, I consider, I consider this present suffering not worth, not worth it. I believe this is what Paul was trying to say when he said uh, these words. He said in, in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his in, incomparably great power for us who believe. The Spirit's job in this, in this passage is the Spirit of hope. And he does it by bringing, listen to me, he does it by bringing your heart to see something that your eyes cannot see. See, people have a misunderstanding of what they call blind faith. They believe that it's walking with some invisible God doing things that you can only guess at whether you're right or wrong. But blind faith is this. Through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God removes the blinders the enemy has put in place on every human being, and you get to see what real life is all about. That is what his job is. It's not blind faith. It's actually faith that opens up your eyes to something that is unseeable. As I, as I studied for this, I thought about um, Ezekiel, who was in a time in, in Israel's history where they had rebelled against God. They were taken captive by Babylon. They were sitting by the Kabar River uh, in, um, in, in kind of a prison, in bondage. And Ezekiel was called to be their minister. You have to understand the devastation of that time. 80% of the Israelites were killed. 20%, excuse me, 10% remained in Jerusalem to maintain the area. 10% were taken to Babylon in captivity. They thought their life was over with. They forgot that Jeremiah had said that they were the good 
figs in the basket, that they were the ones that God would be renewing and bringing back again. And Daniel said, 70 years and you'll be returning. They forgot all about that. And so they sat in Babylon, not seeing life, not seeing the reality of life. And in the interesting thing that God did in, in, in Ezekiel in the way he approached him was the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel, he had no mouth. Everything was in um, Hamlet kind of dramatic, what you used to do with your group, right? You used to go out and do drama and stuff like that. But it was all pantomime and um, it was all pictures in front of the people. He couldn't speak. And then in chapter 33, something happened, and that was that Jerusalem was overcome, was destroyed, and God opened Ezekiel's mind and mouth, excuse me, his mouth. And it was in chapter 37 that the people had said to Ezekiel, our bones have dried up and our hope is gone, we're cut off. They didn't know what God's word had said. They had forgotten that they had been spoken over by the Lord. And they thought they were dead. We don't have to show hands in here, but how many of us have had times in our life where we felt our life was dried up and gone and dead? It's over with. It is done with. This is done with. It's never going to change. It's never going to get any different than that. And that's where they were. And the Lord brought Ezekiel out into a valley. And, and Ezekiel fought, saw all these dry bones sitting on, in the valley. And the Lord said, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel said, the Lord only knows. Lord, you only know. And he said, prophesy to the bones. And so he prophesied to them. And as he did, the bones got back up on top of each other. And Muscle was skewing around them and skin was skewing around them again and they stood there as a mighty army but still no movement. And he said, Ezekiel, prophesy to the, to the breath of the four corners of the earth to breathe on these soldiers. And it did. And they stood as a mighty army. Then he said something that prophesied through Ezekiel in the 13th and 14th verse of 37. He said, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them and I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will set in, settle you in your land, then you will know that I am the Lord that has spoken and I have done it. The hope of true life is believing in the resurrection. Believing that God has arisen every single one of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives. And that our life, even in the midst of this world, we have arisen from the dead. Now, why is that important? Because the verses that, that follow are verses that um, 
that really show what's going on. It, it, it shows that God's not trying to say to you, just get over your situation and just follow me. He's acknowledging. The first is there are two groanings. Actually, there's three groanings in the next two weeks. Well, I'll do the third one, but two groanings here. The first is the groaning of creation. It's 19 through uh, 22. It is a groaning of this creation. It is a groaning that we see every day. And if we put our hope in it, it will only produce hopelessness. Because this world has nothing to offer you of real life. It is a groaning that came. You know, it, it's so interesting. Um, Sue always gets mad at me because I, you know, when, when they say on TV, Mother Nature, I go, where in the world did they get that name from? They, they've come up in unbelief with some kind of name to determine that there's some person of nature over this world. But in the light of philosophies of evolution and in light of global warming scientists, um, both doctrines that have been developed out of unbelief, um, they believe that creation is being restored in front of us and getting better, and they also believe that we're the cause of what's going on, and that's not true. That is not true. It is, there is a law that they have forgotten, and it's the law of entropy. In, entropy, yes. It is, it, huh? Entropy, thank you. There's no, there's no in there, right. Entropy, it refers to the constant and irreversible degradation of matter and energy in the universe uh, to increasing disorder. You see, it says in here that creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. As you go back into God's word, you read the fact that in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the, of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to Dust, you will return. Not only the existence of creation, but the existence of unbelieving humanity. The decay of morality in our country has increased in a, in a speed that is un incredible. The looting that happened during COVID, the increase of crimes, the blatant immorality that is happening. I just... I, um, I just heard from the Aguirre family that there was a guy that was knocking on their door at midnight twice this week trying to get in their house. There is a blatant immorality that is happening all around us. Um, I have a friend of mine that I, I've been uh, growing with, uh, her and her boyfriend, and um, she lives in the mobile home park, and she said that two men came with guns. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're knocking at her door trying to get into her trailer. And she has a license for a gun, so she stood on the other side with it cocked and ready and just stood there. Um, they did not enter, but, uh, but she then called the police who didn't show, but called her daddy who did show. Thank God for daddies that show. 
And, uh, and so, um, oh, you don't need a license. Okay, thanks for that correction. <laughs> but I just, you know, the thing is, is that, is that um, um, these, I, I'm thinking these men were actually arrested later that day, but um, the, the blatantness of, of sin that is going on, um, and, and so, uh, and you think about unbelievers, what is the reason for rejecting the gospel? If you are sharing with humanity the gospel, that you're in, what you're doing when you share the gospel is you're looking to reintroduce the creation to its creator, right? That's what you're trying to do. What's the reason for that rejection? It's like an adopted child meeting their biological parent for the first time. But because of the groaning of creation, the result of the fall, they reject their roots. They reject the rock which they've been hewed from. They reject the one that created them. And 1 John 3, 1 says, The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And so, creation is groaning. Do you see it? You know, I... I've been accused of being uh, uncompassionate to some people. But, but you you got to understand something. As a former addict, I know what the major problem is with all those who are, picky, who are taking other identities in their life. It's exactly that. They're hanging on to the wrong identity. An identity that is of a broken creation. An identity that will not satisfy them. That will not, will not lead them to happiness. Will not lead them to fulfillment. Will not lead them. I'm not uncompassionate. I'm compassionate enough to tell them. Because if they go down that road, they're going to end up with their life realizing they've got it wrong. What happens on the day when they meet Jesus? And, they, and he looks at them and he said, I gave you openness to my identity and you rejected it and picked another identity. What a horrific thing. I remember that I was at, um, I was at a drama and it was a funeral scene. And, uh, and we're all sitting there and so they conducted it like a funeral, right? I'm with these kids. This is like a, a youth thing. And, and so down the aisle comes a casket. And we're all sitting there, you know, somebody has made some nice words and stuff like that beforehand. And, and we're going, what is this all about? <laughs> this is supposed to be a youth event. Well, the casket gets out front and it blows open. And the person inside of it sits up and looks at every one of us and says, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? You were my friend. You were my counselor. You were my doctor. You knew Jesus Christ. And you thought you'd just give me some therapy to try to get me over this? And you had Jesus Christ that you knew? And you never told me? I'm in hell! Why didn't you tell me? In a world that's groaning, there are those 
that are waiting with expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. They're waiting. They know what they have is not what they is fulfilling them. They know it's empty. They know they're, they're pushing their agenda. Ultimately, they have to push it because it's not satisfying to them. But if I can make you believe what I'm doing is good. You remember the kids that when we were younger and they used to have free alcohol and free stuff for us to do, free drugs? Do you remember them? They were my life. Weren't they in yours? Oh, yeah. You could have as much alcohol as you wanted as a teenager. Free. Why was that? Because they wanted to push on you. They knew what they were doing was wrong, but they wanted to push it on you. And if you did it with me, then I feel better about myself. You, you get it? They know it's not satisfying. And it's this groaning creation that is given over to decay, that is given over to falling to pieces. That is leading us. The second groaning is the groaning of believers. I was kind of shocked by that. I thought, oh, wait a minute. I've been brought up in a church where for years, everybody has made it out to be, I'm really good. I'm, how are you doing? I, I'm doing good. Are you do, I'm doing good. That's the church I grew up in. They worked really hard to make it look like everything was fine. Amen? Is there a groaning in you believers' lives? There should be. It's in the Bible. You should be groaning. Why? Well, first groaning is this. 2 Corinthians 5.4 says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead, of, instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that, this, so that what is moral may be swallowed, or excuse me, what is uh, mortal will be swallowed up by what is life, immortality. There should be a groaning. Do you feel it? Do you feel the pull? Do you feel the pull of struggle? Do you feel the fact that in your spirit you desire to do what God wants you to do, but in your flesh you sometimes give in to sin? And there's a groaning because you don't want to do that, and there is a... there is. Um, uh, and, and, and there is, and, and this is the interesting thing is, because of, because of the falsity that the church has put on for so many years, so many people have wigged out of and sat on the sideline hurting by themselves because they determined that because they weren't as good as somebody else in the church, that they didn't belong in it. These seats should be full because every single one of us groan. Every single one of us struggle with the temptation of sin. Every one of us do. And we should be walking side by side with each other. Blessed is a man when he, has a, when he falls that he has a brother to help him up. Well, how does that happen? It's that it's that Daniel and I know each other enough that when we struggle, we can call each other and say, hey, dude, 
I'm struggling right now. I'll pray for you. No condemnation, but openness and realness. It says in, in these words that we are the first fruits of the Spirit. And that means our souls have been risen from the dead, but our bodies have not yet. We wait with anticipation for that time. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there are two um, deep burdens because of that reality in your heart. First, your deep lament over your own personal sin. And second of all, the lament over the increasing and devastating sin of humanity. Lamenting is not an act of looking down on somebody, but an inward suffering over them because you hurt for them. This is the picture God gave me. And every one of you parents know it. Do you remember the first time your child fell and scraped his knee? Do you remember how you felt that? I have. I felt that when my child fell and scraped their knee. Why is that? Because inwardly, you're so connected to your child that and you've been there before. You went through the pain that when that happens, you experience it. That is what our Christian life is like. That as we see those who have turned away from the Lord, as we see, as I talk to Kyle's sister, my heart beat for her. I felt her pain. I felt her pain of running away from me, being adopted, not knowing who you are trying to figure out where you fit in this world when it seems like you're rejected by everybody else, but it's your own self-perception. And so in these groanings, in the groaning of the world and in the groaning of, um, of your own self, um, there's some things that can happen. It can cause doubt of your own salvation by the frustration of seeing sin still manifest itself in your life. It can cause separation in the family of God when you see sin manifested itself in others. It can cause judgmentalism toward unbelievers when you are unwilling to see yourself in the light of your own propensity to sin. That is what's so important about Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and if I don't do what I want to do, then it's no longer I that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. Without that, you are, you, you are this person that just separates yourself from this world and you think you're better. And everybody knows it. So as we end our time, I want to talk about um, and focus on the hope that the Spirit brings in the midst of this. In the midst of these, in the midst of these groanings. Did you get the groanings? The groanings. In the midst of these groanings... Um, Verse 21 says, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is a picture of the fact that, that um, it's like a child standing in a parade up on their tiptoes trying to see the parade come down the road. I want you to keep that picture in your mind. 
Because there are those in this creation that is waiting. Waiting for you to be revealed in front of them. To share Christ with them. But not only, um, not only people. But I like something that Martin Lord Jones wrote. It's called The Phenomena of the Spring. And it's a picture of what goes on in our world. He says this, I wonder whether uh, the phenomena of the spring supplies us with a part answer to this. Nature every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of death and darkness of all so that true of the winter. In the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some kind of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed, for spring leads only to summer, whereas summer leads to autumn and autumn to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity, uh, the principle of death and decay and, and disintegration that it's in. But it cannot do so. It fails every time. It still goes on trying as if it feels things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. So it goes on groaning and travailing in pain together until now. It has been doing so for a very long time, but nature still repeats the effort annually. And so from nature and from within our own hearts, we realize, and I think it's so important because we can get so caught up in the negative of what's going on but if we can see that the word of God is leading us to see the groaning of creation, to see the inward groaning even within our own hearts. I love the, I love the fact that it says here um, about the fact uh, that, uh, that the, uh, the groaning of, the, of creation in verse 22 is the pains of childbirth. That's exactly what, uh, um, what um, Martin was trying to get at. Uh, Jesus said it this way in John 16, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. That a child is born into the world, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now that was said to his disciples as a small mound, the fact that he was going to rise from the dead and they would see him again. But we also can take that same truth that as we go through and groan in this world, that Jesus Christ is returning and that we will see him again. And that in that hope, even though the groaning goes on and it never changes, even though you know inside your heart that when you choose to sin, it's not the way that the Lord had intended and you become, you, you become down. Keep it in front of your mind that this, not to give sin justification, but in repentance and standing back up, that you can keep going and not give up. Because this is the way it's going to go until the day Jesus Christ returns. And so the Spirit reveals the hope in the midst of this groaning. He does it in creation through the eager expectation of the children. He also does it. Creation will be liberated from his bondage, as I said, in childbirth. And then thirdly, the redemption of our bodies. 
When you let your life circumstance lead you, you look at yourself and you say, nothing's changed. I don't see any change out here. I, you know, right? Even though my spirit has been changed, this body continues to move toward death. How do I reconcile that? How do I reconcile that? We have to believe this. Our adoption to sonship or daughtership in Christ is absolutely complete and secure. We have to live with the reality that our flesh will still live out the I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. But there is a security of salvation. First of all, secured by the Father. 1 Corinthians 2, one twenty one says, Now it is God who makes us both, both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. So our security is in the fact that God himself has anointed us. Second, our security is in the Son. John 6.37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And thirdly, the security comes from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit. The Puritan um, Thomas Watson said this, But though their grace may be drawn low, it's not drawn dry. Though grace may be abated, it is not abolished. Grace may suffer an eclipse, not a disillusion. A believer may fall from some degree of grace, but not from the state of grace. Our security is in him. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The Spirit of hope opens up the fact and gives us a statement of faith an attitude that says our present suffering is not worth considering the glory to come. It helps us because it allows us to look at creation and say, I see the groaning. And I get it. You're not trying to tell me just get over it. You're, you're telling me to experience it, but to believe something within it. I see the groaning in my own flesh, my own life, and I'm not overcome by it. Because I trust in the one who has brought his glory to me, is bringing his glory in me, and will someday glorify this body the same as his own glorious body. And that is the hope. I have heard over and over from people who are underneath their life experience and they just don't think it's ever going to change. They say, this is the experiences I have. I have not experienced God this way. That's why this word is so important. Just like the Israelites who didn't remember God's word and they thought their bones were dried up because they were in captivity. They need Ezekiel to remind them of the word of God and that even in the midst of what feels like bondage, he is our freedom. 
And so as I conclude my time, can you say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us? If you cannot, if you're under life experiences, whether in the church for years or whether just new to it, today is a great day to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit who is our hope, so that your heart can be changed and renewed, so you can see the real life that's in front of you. Yes, Ted Cruz is horrified by the bodies that are skewn over top of his state, left for dead. But even in the midst of that, I know whom I believe in, and I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I have given to him against that day. Do you believe that? Are you ready to live that out loud? Because there's a creation that's deteriorating around us, showing us that Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's coming soon. And if Paul said that, 2,000 years later, we certainly ought to be saying that. But also this, listen to me. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're in cement or if, or if you're building guitars or if you are at home with your grandchildren or if you're at camp next week with your grandchildren or whatever you're doing. There is a creation that is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. They're watching you. Will you live it out? Will you live it out? Because in Christ, listen to me, in Christ is the only hope of the world. And his spirit witnesses it in everybody's heart who has received the spirit of God. Kyle, you got hope this morning? Dad's in heaven. He's gone. See you later. See you later. Amen. You got hope. Amen. Amen. Jay, you got hope? Cancer? Doesn't matter? You win both ways, don't you? Yes. People of God, there's hope in Jesus Christ today. Spirit of hope that lives. May that spirit dwell in your heart. Stand with me as we call the praise team to come forward. Pray with me, people of God. Father in heaven, there is no time in history that we have heard as loud a groaning as we do today. All creation is groaning. Groaning and trying to find themselves in things of this world. Groaning in the fact that this, that this earth is deteriorating and is, is, is disintegrating around us. Heavenly Father, you have brought us together in the midst of this groaning, not denying the groaning that, that we have experienced in our life, both in creation, but also, Lord, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's a groaning inside their heart. There's a groaning inside of us. You're not denying any of that. You're just saying, can you stand on the statement of faith that you consider this present suffering not worth 
the glory that will be revealed in us? Can you stand on the faith in, in when everybody else panics in the world, when everybody else moves in, in ways that are caused by life experiences, that we only move by your spirit of hope, that in the midst of hopelessness in this world, that we live out hope because you are in us and you are our hope. And it's not a hope we see. We don't have any hope in our retirement. We have no hope in our homes. We have no hope in our jobs. We do not ultimately have hope in anything else in this world, another person. We have hope in you because the spirit of hope dwells inside of our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that in this light and in your hope, we can say these words. And if there's somebody here today that can't say it, that hasn't considered or have that confidence that, Father, your spirit will draw them to you because they're here today because they needed to hear your spirit speak to their heart. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I, uh, I just thank you for the privilege and honor uh, to uh, bring forth your word. Uh, and I pray that, Father, that your spirit has witnessed louder than my words have spoken. We love you and we trust you. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.